Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Fiorentina preview episode, and I'm joined by a guest to help me with that. He is a writer and now podcaster. He hosts the excellent Rigore podcast. Giancarlo Rinaldi, welcome to Fortunopoli. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, the pleasure is mine. So you're a lover of Italian football in general. You've written a couple of books on, on great Italian football matches. You've written countless articles for footballitalia.net and various other websites. But the reason I asked you to come on for this pod is because... And I should say, with the help of a mutual friend in Frank Risorto, is because you also happen to be a Fiorentina supporter. And of course, Napoli hosts Fiorentina on Sunday, so we're going to preview the match. Before we get to the match itself, though, I just want to get your thoughts on Fiorentina's season so far. And it's hard to talk about Fiorentina's success this season without talking about Vincenzo Italiano. So let me ask you first, how impressed have you been with what he's managed to do at the club? Yeah, I've been very impressed. You'll, you'll remember in the summer, we had a near miss with a good friend of yours, Reno Gattuso. Who sort of, we walked down the aisle and then looked at one another and thought, no, this is just not going to work on both parts, really. I think both, both Gattuso never looked happy in the, in the kind of presentation pictures. And Fiorentina kind of got cold feet as well as he started to allegedly, anyway, ask for players to be brought in. So, at that point, you thought, this is a club in chaos, you know, what a shambles. It's a, it's another embarrassment for Fiorentina. But little did we know they had a, an ace up their sleeve, really, in Vincenzo Italiano. I've been very impressed. I mean, I, I knew he was a good coach before he came, but, you know, it did feel like a sort of second choice. And you're always thinking, well, you know, this if this wasn't the grand plan, it could be a disaster. But in fact, it's turned out pretty well. It's not been perfect, but it's certainly been a big improvement. The last couple of seasons for Fiorentina have really been a sort of catchphrase amongst Fiorentina fans is my una gioia, never never any pleasure. And that's really been true for the last couple of seasons. But he's brought the fun back. I think he likes to play an attacking football, likes to go for it home and away. You know, it's not always worked out. There have been a few big setbacks, most notably maybe at Torino when we when we lost 4-0 and we were we were heavily behind very early on. But by and large it's been good. And as I say, you know, for Fiorentina fans who've been suffering for a while, it's been a, a welcome tonic really to see the team play 
quite nice attacking football and, you know, open, expansive, stuck to this 4-3-3 that's, uh, as I said, it's been good fun to watch. It's not always been tight at the back, but it's certainly been, it's been a much more pleasant experience to be a Fiorentina fan since Italiano took over than it has been for quite a while. It was definitely a strange set of circumstances that led to this signing. You mentioned Gattuso, he was in charge for 23 days. And, and as you alluded to, the reports were that Gattuso was demanding players who happened to be represented by his very own agent, George Mendez. And, you know, there was a, a, an obvious conflict of interest there. And I think that sort of led to them parting ways sort of mutually. And it just got worse for Gattuso after that. We won't get into that. But Italiano was highly regarded during his time at Spezia. He'd been linked to a number of clubs, including Napoli at one point when Napoli was going through a bit of a crisis in December of that season. They ended up sticking with Gattuso until the end of the season and then went with Spalletti. But you're right, Italiano's come in, he's implemented his system and his philosophy, and the results started to come. But before we get further into the details from this season, I want to ask you a little bit about what you think about Italiano's future at Fiorentina, because he's been on this upward trajectory. I mean, only five seasons ago, he was coaching in Serie D, and he seems to have been taking a step up every season. Of course, he took Spezia from Serie B to Serie A before he joined Fiorentina. Given what he's already done at Fiorentina, are you concerned a little bit that he might be poached by one of the top clubs in a year or two? You're always worried about that at Fiorentina. If it's not your players, it's your coach, isn't it? You know, I think it just that's the fate of being a mid-table side is that, you know, if somebody comes and does well, they are immediately kind of linked with top jobs. And, you know, because he's a new face, I think you get the same names going round and round in circles and everyone's looking for who is the next big thing. And, you know, I think maybe between him, possibly Dionysi, it's, it's, you know, there are a few names in the hat to be that next big thing. But he's definitely, you know, right there at the kind of the top of the starting grid, if we want, for managers like that. The only thing I think is that he seems a bit more, my cousin who, host the Rigori pod with me as a big Venezia fan, he says Dionisi will be out the door as soon as there's a, a better offer. I think that Italiano might stick around a little longer. He's started a project here. He's brought in some players he wants. And I, I, I'm reasonably optimistic that we can get at least another season out of him anyway. You know, I don't see... There's no great clamour for change at the top clubs either. So that makes his position, you know, a, a little safer but you know it's a little more likely that he would stay if you were if you were seeing one of the big guns really in crisis just now then you would say oh yeah you know they'll be getting rid of whoever but you know I think they're all in a reasonably strong position I guess you might think Juventus might not be happy with how things have panned out this year and depending on how the Scudetto battle ends up somebody's going to be unhappy out of Inter in Milan probably so you know they are maybe the biggest jobs to step up to but I think as I say he's found a a level that works quite well for him just now and I'm reasonably hopeful I always say these things and then two weeks later they're manager's gone or the player's gone but you know that I like to think that that Fiorentina is still a a decent sized club and you know they've definitely been underachieving for the last few seasons so you know if he can take them up into a European place this season for example that would be I think another incentive for him to hang around because he's obviously not had 
that taste of his skills yet. And I think that would be another string to his bow and it would only look better to potential suitors if he could take Fiorentina into a European place. Yeah, I share the same sentiment. I think when I look at the top five clubs and their coaches, I think you have at least another season with Italiano because Milan and Napoli are content with Pioli and Spalletti, respectively. Yes, as you said, you know, if there's disaster at Juve or Inter, they may look onward. But at the same time, both of those clubs are not in the best financial situations. And I don't think either of them want to have multiple coaches on the books, especially with the salary that, say, Allegri is making. Atalanta is an interesting one. Again, I think they're quite content with what Gasparini has done, even if they have taken a step back this season. I mean, they've even been linked to even Juric as a potential, who's another one of those names that you can throw into that hat as perhaps one of the next managers at one of the top clubs. And then after that, it would be a horizontal move. So why leave something good just to to take a horizontal step? Looking a little closer at this season, it's a, a relatively small sample size, but in the 35 matches in charge at Fiorentina, Italiano's averaged about 1.8 points per match, which is the highest average since Vincenzo Motella's first stint in charge. He's also gotten Fiorentina back to where they were in the table under Paolo Souza and Stefano Pioli, and things were pretty much were pretty rough after uh, Montella returned and then the whole Iacchini era. Now, much of Fiorentina's success in the first half of the season could be attributed to the attacking prowess of Dusan Vlahovic. He scored 17 goals and added four assists before his move to Juventus. Since then, though, Fiorentina have still had a record of four wins, two draws, and only two losses. So are you surprised that the results haven't dropped off since Vlahovic's departure from the club? Not entirely. The reason I say that is because although he was definitely the end point of a lot of attacks, it was good team play that was putting him... It wasn't like they were playing badly and he was digging them out of a hole with a wonder goal, although he did score some of those. It was more that he was the end point of some nice attacking play that they were putting together. So, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that the goals have dried up a bit for him now. And, you know, maybe he's looking back and thinking, oh, I wish I still had Nico Gonzalez and whoever Ricky Saponara providing assists for me rather than this Juventus team that likes to sit and defend and play on the break a lot of the time. I don't, that's not entirely true. But, I mean, definitely it was a blow to lose him. He's a top quality striker. His ceiling is sky high. So, you know, to take that out of your attack was a blow. And then, you know, we've not seen the best, certainly of his kind of, we've adopted a replacing with two players philosophy between um, Piontek and Artur Cabral. And certainly, I mean, Piontek's hit the ground running, really. He's chipped in a few goals, but Cabral's struggled to adjust. That's not surprising. He's brand new to the league where Piontek's got experience in in Serie A. So, you know, that was probably to be expected. I think what has happened is that they've tightened up the defence a bit since Vlaovic left. And so that's meant that although, you know, you don't score as freely because you've got a man like that up front, you don't concede as much. So you'll maybe eke out a 1-0 win. And I, I think he's finally perhaps 
established what his best central defensive pairing is because for a lot of the time we chopped and changed the defence. But now with Igor and Milenkovic, you know, they're two tough guys. I don't think anybody want to go for a 50-50 ball with them too often. So, you know, it's certainly that's resolved a few issues where, you know, we were a bit disorganised at the back from time to time. So, as I say, you know, pleasantly surprised that they've managed to keep the form going because, you know, you take... I don't care who it is, what team it is, you take their best player out, it's going to be a blow, and that's for sure. But I think, as I said, the, the, the Italiano's style is more about the team play than it is about any individual. And although he was a great individual, I think he'd already done some good groundwork building up a, a clear team identity here. And so a, a striker stepping in, particularly Piontek, has found that this team will create chances for you and you will get you will get the opportunity to score goals. I look at Napoli and our most recent opponent, Atalanta, and I think when Osimen is not in the squad for Napoli, the results haven't been as great when Zapata hasn't been in the squad for Atalanta. They've really fallen off. So that's why I was a little bit surprised. But that does make sense. They're just the system that that Italiano plays and has established. And actually, what what I've always admired about Italiano is he's always used a lot of players and rotated quite a bit. And it's similar to Spalletti in that sense, where their guys are prepared to come in and fill in a, a position. And the system is still the same. The mentality is still the same. And so maybe it's not so surprising that the results, like you said, have continued. I don't know if anyone expected Christoph Piontek to play as well as he has, but you know he scored six goals in all competitions since joining Fiorentina, so that has definitely helped. And I do think Artur Cabral will come around. I mean, there's good signs, even if he hasn't accumulated as many goals as uh, Fiorentina fans would have liked to see. Fiorentina are sitting eighth in the table, but it's only four points back of Roma in fifth. And you mentioned Europe earlier. You're also in the semifinals of the Coppa Italia. So I want to ask you a little bit about Fiorentina's priorities. Do you prioritize either of the Coppa Italia or European qualification over the other? Or do you think Fiorentina have the depth to compete for both? Well, I mean, given that we've reached, you know, the final stages of the Coppa Italia, I think it's not such a stretch that, you know, you've got a couple, well, one one game, maybe two to go. So, you know, I don't think that's putting the squad under undue pressure. I mean, in the end, I think that if it was to be a trophy, magnificent. I think everybody in Florence would prioritise that because, you know, they're few and far between in, in the club's history. There's not a lot. We've won, I mean, the Coppa Italia has been a kinder competition than, than Serie A. But just the same, I think in reality, perhaps people would say that to get back into Europe would be the big deal and, and through league, a league finish would be great because it's been disappointing to see the least the last couple of seasons, you know. So I feel that that will be a priority, especially given the situation in the Copa being a goal behind, there still being the away goals rule in the Copa Italia, you know, that makes it, you know, to go to Turin and get anything is very, very difficult as anyone who follows Italian football will know. So, you know, that makes it feel that, you know, the tide in the league is better. We've got the fixture to make up with Udinese as well. So it feels like that would be the the more likely route into Europe because I think it's only by winning the Coppa Italia now that you get into Europe that way anyway. So, you know, that's going to be a tall order because even if you get past Juventus, 
there's the little matter of Inter or Milan to play in the final. So, you know, definitely Fiorentina are underdogs in that fight, whereas what you alluded to earlier, Atalanta have kind of hit a bit of a flat spot in the league. You don't know, Lazio Roma, you know, might cut each other's throat. And that means that I think seventh spot will get you into Europe. Well, you know, Fiorentina's right on course to do that. So, you know, I mean, I'm greedy. I'd like both. Um, but in reality, I think, you know, the more realistic target probably is a seventh place or above in, in Serie A finish, you know, and that would be that would be great for Fiorentina fans, as long as I think it's a building block to then becoming maybe targeting a Champions League place in, in a few seasons' time or, you know, becoming a real a real regular in the later stages of the Coppa Italia, whatever whatever that might be, or progress in a European competition to maybe the later stages. Something like that would feel, you know, you have to be realistic if you're in Tina or where they are in the pecking order of Calcio. But I think they deserve to be higher than they've been in recent times. And, and I reckon that, you know, a seventh place finish in Serie A shouldn't be beyond a club of their stature. Yeah, it's definitely progress over the last couple of seasons, right? So things are heading in the right direction. The competition for Europa League and Conference League qualification has almost become a mini league of its own. And that's actually something you mentioned on your show that, you know, there's three great battles happening simultaneously in Serie A. Of course, we have the Scudetto race at the top of the table. There's this European qualification zone with the four or five teams that you mentioned. And then the relegation battle as well, which is... I guess from a a neutral and just really from anyone's standpoint, any fan of Italian football, it's great for the league. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about Fiorentina's recent form. We'll look at the starting lineups and we'll make some predictions. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Let's move on to Fiorentina's recent form. And you kind of touched on this already as well, but Fiorentina's record, again, since the Vlahovic transfer, four wins, two draws, and two losses, or one loss in your last seven, every one of those matches was decided by a single goal or less, and that's the part that you touched down. Now, that could be good or bad. I mean, the negatives that Fiorentina have struggled to find goals lately, I guess you've averaged one goal per match over those seven matches. On the flip side, like you said, you've been very solid at the back, and if you score a goal a game and you concede less than a goal a game, then just simple math tells you that you're generally going to produce good results. That record with so many close games also suggests, though, that Fiorentina are finding a way to get results. How are you feeling about Fiorentina's recent form? Well, that's what's pleased me most about it is the character that they've shown because I could tell you that in not too distant past, Fiorentina would have found a way to lose or draw a lot of these games, whereas now they've managed to, I wouldn't say grind it out because I don't think it's not been unpleasant to watch them. It's not been that they've been negative. It's just, I mean, although I've said that they've done fine without Vlaovic, there's no doubt that the conversion rate of chances has fallen away. You know, they could do with someone stepping up, you know, be it a midfielder who's going to come up with goals, you know, or be it one of the strikers just hitting a rich vein of form. I think their play in most of these games has been good enough to be worth more goals than they've scored. They just haven't been able to kill off an opponent, you know, and that's a that's a thing that probably only comes over time. But but what they have got now is a pretty solid base there. And, you know, and especially in Florence, 
where I think they're I think their record is maybe the second best in Serie A now. I think only Inter sit higher than them on points gathered from their home games. Away from home, mm, not so much. I think they're maybe more a mid-table side on their away form. But just the same, as I say, that finding of a solid central defensive pairing has been really important because you said earlier, you know, Italiano likes to chop and change and so he does keep you on your toes. He's, he's, a, he's a coach that I'd be loath to try and predict his starting lineup, and I'd be reluctant to try and guess what subs he's going to make because whatever you sit at home thinking he'll do the exact opposite. You know, when you, when you think that, you know, oh, Saponara's in great form, he'll leave him on the bench. And then you think, oh, you know, Sotil can't buy a goal. That's who'll start. I guess we don't see what he sees week in, week out in training. And that's a thing, you know, it can drive fans daft because we think, oh, you know, we see their 90 minutes and we judge them on that. But he sees a lot more. And I think it's, it's starting to pay fruit in some of the players that maybe have frustrated Fiorentina fans a bit this season. I'm thinking particularly of Gaetano Castrovilli, who, you know, was a national team contender, was really a rising star and had faded away really. But the last few games, we've definitely seen signs of him returning to his to his best, you know. So there's elements of that that, um, as I say, have shown that Italiano knows what he's doing and he knows you know he knows what team to put out on the pitch better than I do which is no real surprise. Yeah, I haven't checked the XG on Fiorentina's recent matches but I'd venture to guess that they're probably underperforming so they're probably scoring fewer goals than they would be expected to score given the opportunities that they're creating which is I, I guess a positive sign from a Fiorentina standpoint that it may be just that look you know the ball's not bouncing our way but we're still producing the results, which is the most important thing. And there have been some pretty impressive results during that run. I mean, there was a late winner against Atalanta. I believe it was Amrabat who scored that goal after he was sort of largely at fault on the equalizer. So a bit of a redemption there. Uh, even the the one lost during that stretch against Asuolo. I mean, Fiorentina were down a goal and a man. I think it was Bonaventura that got sent off and Cabral scored a late equalizer. Unfortunately, then Defrel scored a late winner, which was... Uh, crushing for Fiorentina but then you know there have been some really good results against tough opponents wins again you know over Atalanta and Bologna draws to a tough Verona team and Inter so Fiorentina are coming into this match I would say in decent form you said you'd be loath to predict a starting lineup but I'm gonna ask you to do exactly that if you don't mind I mean I took a look at the at the squad and I don't see too many injuries maybe Bonaventura has a bit of a knee thing going on and Piontek didn't feature in the Empoli match, but it seems like he'll be fit to start this one. And I don't see any suspensions. Have I missed any players there? Or Well, there is one big suspension because Lucas Torreira is ah. suspended for the game. So that's a huge blow for Fiorentina because he's probably been, now that Vlaovic is gone, he's probably been our player of the season. So that does punch you a bit of a hole in the midfield, I would say, with the, the I think Bonaventura likely to miss out as well. So, you know, that does leave things a bit thinner there. But other than that, I think the only other injury doubt I saw was possibly Odio Zola at right back. So, and he's been a revelation for Fiorentina fans. It's funny that we've got these players on loan that we'd love to keep, but they're quite expensive to keep. And also you need to negotiate with, so with Arsenal for Torreira and with Real Madrid for Odio Zola. Although I think it seems like both are, 
surplus to requirements at their parent club. So, you know, we'd be, we'd love to keep them both. It's just a question of, uh, it's always a question of money, isn't it? So we'll see what they do. So the Torreira thing is a, definitely a blow for Fiorentina ahead of this game. I, I'd suspect that maybe we'll see Castrovilli in the midfield, Duncan as well, more likely. Maybe Yusuf Mali get a rear start. I don't know. You know, that's the... A potential trio in midfield. I mean, it's quite a, an attacking midfield, really. The defence, I reckon, picks itself. There's no doubt Terra Chano being goals. He's emerged as number one, which has been a bit of a surprise um, over Dragovsky. But just I think his, his ability with his feet probably has, has helped him. We like to play out from the back and um, there were a few mistakes early on in the season and that seem, it seems like you know, that's been, as I've said, you know, you've got this Igor Milenkovic solid partnership in defence. Biragi will be left back for sure. So I suspect it might be Venuti that comes in at right back if Odrizola can't make it, which is a definite downgrade. Odrizola is a much more attacking force, but Venuti's a decent enough pro. As I say, the midfield's a bit of a puzzle. I fully expect Piontek will start over Cabral, just as I say, for these sort of orientation issues that Piontek's just looked more at home more quickly. Nico Gonzalez, I see as a certainty, but you know, you don't know this is Italiano, but I would suspect he'll start. And that just leaves one more place, really, who plays the final wing position, which it's rotated between Saponara, Sotil. Could Kaihon come in to try and haunt his old team? You know, that would be, I'm a firm believer in the law of the X. So, you know, I'd be sticking him in the team because I think he'd probably grab a goal. But he's not been in great form. I mean, I think it would be a surprise if he did start. He might be a man to throw on during the game, maybe to try and get a goal. And as I say, it would be, you know, and let Naples curse him afterwards. But I think in form terms, probably... Definitely Gonzalez, maybe maybe Saponara has the edge. It depends how you want to play because Saponara is a much more slow, thoughtful player who will keep you possession with Sotil. Maybe if you think Napoli are going to come out and attack you, Sotil might be a man to play on the break. He's definitely got good pace. His decision-making still needs a bit of work. You know, having said that, I would like to guess the starting eleven. That would be my guess at the starting eleven. As I say, it's the centre of the midfield, probably the hardest one. And it depends, I guess, if, you know, if there was a late recovery from Bonaventura, then he might come into contention. Because you want, you know, you're going to a tough, tough ground. You want experienced players in that team. Maybe even Amrabat might come in, you know, and not a lot of Fiorentina fans wouldn't be very pleased about that, but, you know, they might be for, for the sake of sort of a, a balance to the midfield because, you know, Mali and Castrovilli both like to get forward. So it might be that he puts in, you know, he puts in somebody with a bit more defensive duties in there alongside, alongside, as I say, I think Alfred Duncan probably be in the, in the starters as well, but, you know, it'd be a tough, Tough, tough game. Whoever he picks, you know, it's going to be a tough ask. And without one of your better performers of the season, that makes it even tougher. Yeah, I think Amrabat is a good shout just because of that. That's his more natural position, that sort of regista role. I'll be interested to see who plays on the left wing because, of course, Napoli have a youngster in Alessandro Zanoli playing at right back who had a good debut against Atalanta and is expected to start for Napoli again in this match. 
And then you seem to have a bit of a, an abundance of right wingers at the moment. Of course, it's hard to not start Nico Gonzalez. And, and then probably ahead of Calajon, you also have Jonathan Ikone, who you brought in in the winter and is a player that's maybe uh, perhaps deserving of more playing time, but just can't find it with the play of Nico Gonzalez. Let me quickly run through my predicted 11 for Napoli, which I think is much easier to predict probably uh, than the Fiorentina starting 11. I think we're going to go with the 4-2-3-1 with David Ospina in goal. Uh, Meret has recovered from his back injury, but Ospina is the clear number one at this point, so that won't change. Amir Rachmani is back from his suspension that he served against Atalanta, so he'll pair with Koulibaly at center back. Mario Rui will start at left back, and as I mentioned, Alessandro Zanoli will start at right back for the injured Giovanni Di Lorenzo. The reason I have us playing in a 4-2-3-1 as opposed to a 4-3-3 is because Andre Frank Zamboangisa is suspended for yellow card accumulation. So I think we'll see Stanislav Lobotka and Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot with Piotr Zelensky playing in front of them in the number 10. And then Lorenzo Insigne will start in the left wing. And I think Matteo Politano has become the starting right winger for the balance of the season with his play of late. But that gives us some options off the bench because then we have... Elmas and Lozano, both guys that can come in and both have pace and can play actually on both sides of the park. So there's a lot of flexibility there. And then the last player is Victor Osman, who also returns from suspension to start at striker. There was some concern on uh, on Wednesday that he might have picked up a minor injury in training, and uh, it looks like he's going to be okay. There, you know, they use this term resentment, which I don't know if it's just a translation thing, but it it doesn't translate well. So. It leaves Napoli fans, certainly the English-speaking Napoli fans, wondering what in the world this term means. I, the best I could come up with is maybe he felt something, like he felt a... Uh, a, a twinge, a twinge a th- is, how right. I would, <laughs> is how I would translate it into English, which, you know, it's not... It's It sounds like something you get when you're an old man and you walk up the <laughs> stairs and, you know, you get a twinge in your back. But I think then, you know, it's one of these things, you feel it, it will pass. I think it sounds like the sort of thing where you'll definitely play. I don't think too many people miss out a game on the strength of that. It needs to be a bit more. And I was I was, <laughs> I was gesticulating there because, um, I mean, uh, I love OC men. I think he's an outstanding player. And so, you know, if he'd been able to miss out this game and come back, that would have been great news for Fiorentina fans. But it just means a much tougher day at the office for, for Igor and, and Milenkovic. And when you see the team there, I do think it's going to be a hard job for particularly for Venuti, if he comes into the team, he's going to have his work cut out to cope with uh, what Napoli can offer down his flank as well. You know, I think that's going to be a hard ask. But as always with every game, it's it's about who takes the initiative, isn't it really? And, you know, if, if Fiorentina can get a foothold, I don't think they'll not come to defend. They may have to defend, but you'll have seen, as Fiorentina have seen this season, plenty of teams come to your ground and just put sort of two banks of four and try to hold out and play on the break. That will not be how Fiorentina will come to play. As I say, it may be that quality that Napoli have may force Fiorentina to defend more than they would want to. But I think whoever they pick, they will come to try to make the game and impose their play on, on Napoli. But that's a tall order against, you know, a team that's one of the finest tuned 
footballing units in Serie A. I would say it's you know it's always been a fan of how Napoli have played, and they've whoever the manager's been, they've tried to carry on that tradition of playing it out from the back and playing some really nice football. And it's when they're on song, it's very hard for anyone in Italy anyway to cope with, and some teams in Europe too. You know, so that's a it's a level that really. Fiorentina aspire to and if if they could come away with anything from this scheme, you know, given the given the incentive that's there for Napoli as well, you know, that Scudetto dream, you know, that it's a bit more exciting than a seventh place dream, isn't it? You know, so I think that, you know, the incentive for Napoli to win is great and then to have a sort of I don't know if it'll be a sold out ground, but it'll not be far off it, you know, as well. So that's a big, big factor as well. But that's not to say that, you know, not coming to be a kind of sacrificial lamb either. I think Fiorentina have got players and a coach that can unsettle Napoli, but it will be about who takes control of the play. And if, if Napoli do that, then they've got all the, the weapons in the world. And, you know, you mentioned the players that are on the bench there is are likely to be on the bench there. Fiorentina would kill to have those in their starting lineup, really, you know. So it's going to be a tough ask from a Fiorentina standpoint. And I, I've said before on the, the Rigori podcast that, you know, as a as a sort of fan of the underdog and, you know, the teams that don't have 20, 30 Scudetti in their back pocket, if I was rooting for anyone in the in the final showdown in Serie A, it would be Napoli because, you know, you've only got a couple like ourselves. So, you know, it would be nice and I know how much it means to a city that doesn't celebrate titles all the time. So, you know, that would be nice. But if you could do it, by not beating Fiorentina at the weekend, that would be the ideal scenario. If you can have a word, that would be much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll take all the support we can get. So I'm going to take that anyways. I mean, you mentioned Fiorentina's approach. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I love about Italiano, even during his time at Spezia, and I'm sure in Serie B before that, he, his clubs have an identity and they don't really veer away from that. At the same time, I think that's good for Napoli because it means that there's going to be more space on the park and and that plays well into our strategy and especially for a player like Osiman who needs space to perform compared to some other clubs you know we have Torino coming up a, a little bit later and you think of Ivan Juric's clubs who sit back and defend and and create this wall in defense and that makes it very difficult to break through so it'll be really interesting i think it'll be a very entertaining match whichever way it goes especially uh, for the neutral i'm sure we'll both be stressing out over it um Perhaps me a little bit more, as you said, in terms of what's at stake. Would you be so bold as to make a prediction for this match? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not just saying this because this is a Napoli podcast, but I reckon Napoli will win 2-1, 3-1. I think it'll be a game. I think both teams will score. It just has that feel of a, an open game, as I say, with, with teams that like to impose themselves on the game. And I think Fiorentina have got enough to get at least a goal, but I th- think maybe this time the one goal might not be enough that would be my prediction okay I'm a little hesitant to make a prediction just because like many Napoli fans I think the match in 2017-18 is lingering in the back of my mind but I will make one I, I always do on this show against my uh culture I guess you can say <laughs> so I'm gonna go with a 1-0 Napoli win and I'm gonna give the goal to Piotr Zelensky I think Milenkovic is a fantastic center back, and I think he's going to spend a lot of time marking Victor Osimhen, who will be well-rested. So he's going to have his hands full, and I'm thinking that's going to leave some space for players that are around 
Osiman, and that's why I have Zielinski scoring the goal. That said, I'm going to continue with this trend of tight scoring matches uh, in terms of Fiorentina, so that's why I'm going with the 1-0 result. That loss in 2018 was at the Franchi. This one will be at the Maradona, and it will be at full capacity. It's expected to be sold out, so probably about 51,000 home fans there, and we'll see how many traveling Fiorentina fans there are. And, you know, we actually haven't been that great at the Maradona this season, so I'm hoping that those few extra thousand fans uh, give us the extra push with you know a little bit of extra noise to get us towards that victory. Before we wrap it up, you have a podcast that you started recently that you mentioned that you go to podcast. If you could take a minute and just uh, you know tell the listeners a little bit about the show, what they can expect from it. Well, you can expect two lovely Scottish accents for a starter, because it's myself and my cousin Marco who are both Scottish Italians, obviously. So, but what to expect? Really, I guess it's a kind of sideways look at Serie. We both support I'm a Fiorentina fan Marco's a Venezia fan so you know I've got it lucky compared to him and we look sort of from the bottom end of Serie A up to the top and we're we try to be a little irreverent a little bit disrespectful to the traditional big guns the the UVs Milan's enters of this world and kind of give the view of the underdog I suppose and take a, a slightly different look from just you know will UV win their 93rd Scudetto or whatever we'll quite often look at the relegation battle, we certainly look at the terrible refereeing decisions that we often get in Serie A the VAR controversy, so that's our chat, we always record on a Sunday night so it's out there, get yourself on a Monday morning, get downloading the, the Rigori pod and give us a listen Yeah, that's one of the fav- my favourite things about the show, it's that as soon as I wake up on Monday morning, it's sitting there waiting for me. It's it's a really enjoyable listen. You, you've kind of highlighted some of the things that I like. I like that they're short and sweet. Usually 20, maybe 30 minutes was, I think, the longest. And it was warranted after Italy's unfortunate exit from the World Cup. So they're nice. You can probably get through an episode just in your commute to work. And like you said, unlike most Serie shows and podcasts that tend to focus exclusively on the top of the table and the Scudetto race, you guys do a great job of covering the entire league top to bottom. So everyone be sure to check that out on your usual platforms. Again, it's Rigore, the Italian football podcast. Giancarlo, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been a pleasure. I've always uh, It's always a pleasure to talk Fiorentina. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do that all day, every day, quite happily. So but thanks for having me on. It's much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. And, and it's been my pleasure, truly. So you can find Giancarlo on Twitter at Ginkers, that's G-I-N-K-E-R-S. And you can find the Rigore podcast at Rigore pod. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is Chicho Merola's Mpasta. This song is a light-hearted Napolitan version of a famous Pakistani song called Musta Must by Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. Musta Must is one of those songs that's been adopted by various different cultures, and it's fitting that Chicho covered it. Throughout his career, he's been known to draw inspiration from other cultures, particularly from the Southern Hemisphere. In 2008, he released an album called Kokoro, in which he experimented with tribal rhythms. He actually won a Lunetsia prize for that album in the category of ethnic music, so be sure to check that out. I'll be back next week to review the Fiorentina match, 
But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.